Well, it's awesome to be together here today, and happy Father's Day again to everybody. It is uh, cool to see a video like that, Go Ask Dad. And if you're a teenager in the room, I hope you're really paying attention there. That's your homework, right, to go ask your dad something. Uh, Just kidding, but it is a good idea to do. And uh, I'm super excited about uh, all the dads in this room. You guys are uh, truly heroes to me. And even today, today I'm, I'm flying solo on Father's Day. So it's one of the first times ever. Uh, it's not that bad because I did get to spend time with Connor up in the mountains here with James uh, a couple days ago. Uh, and it was just cool driving up there. And, you know, when you make opportunities for God to work, you never know how he's going to answer. Right. If you never hang out with your kids, then he's never going to move. And so we're driving up there, and I'm telling them all these stories about our family and kind of all the backstories. You know, he knows how it is now, but he doesn't know how it got to that point. And so it was just really, I mean, it's amazing how interested he was getting when I was telling him, you know, different attitudes that people had with different people and how they worked it out and how other people haven't worked it out and I mean, he was like, wow, how come I never knew any of this stuff? And I was like, well, because as you get older, you get to learn more of what's going on. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so it was just one of those moments. And I was thinking, wow, if we didn't have this time, if we weren't driving up here to see James, we would have never had this conversation. You know, it was an opportunity. So this week when we heard uh, that we are wearing the dad shirt, I mean, it was almost a no-brainer for me. Uh, to wear the camo shirt, unless Amory's got one on. I think I got the only one, but he does—he doesn't. But he's—he went for—he went for America over a camo. But uh, you know, it was probably a close second. Uh, but really, this was the times uh, when Connor talks about himself coming to faith. He always says, you know, when we were out there hunting is when I got to see creation, and that's what helped me to come to faith. So when we had a choice, it was kind of a no-brainer uh, for me. And uh, today we're starting our summer series. Uh, one more thing on Father's Day. I know for some people it's a hard time. And uh, that's really why we're here, because God makes all the difference in our families. And uh, sometimes we can feel like, hey, we're pretty good dads. Man, we're, we're, we want to give ourselves a pat on the back, right? I, I'm known around my house. I'm the king of the pat on the back. Whenever I do something, I want to get recognized, right? You, Hey, I washed the dishes, you know, did you, did you see that? Everybody see that? I just cooked dinner. You know, it's like a big event. Uh, but I, I was reminded uh, today just how much that we are nothing without the people who came before us. I wouldn't be the dad that I am today if I couldn't look at and see people's family and, look, and say, I want that. How did you do that? How did you do that? And really, without God's word showing us, none of us would be who we are. And so I pray that today that you can get inspired for what the world can be. Because as I was driving in uh, from Orange County this morning, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of cars coming out here. I bet on Mother's Day there was a lot of cars. And it just got me thinking, man, there's a... There's a big problem in our world, and it starts with that, with the dads. It starts with how they've treated women in their lives, how they've treated their, their, their wives, how they've treated their families. And I know that it's an extreme overgeneralization, 
But I bet you can name on you could name off five men who have either destroyed their own lives or destroyed their family lives pretty quickly. And maybe it was in your maybe it was you, maybe it was your family member, maybe it was somebody else. And that's the amazing thing is that the reason that I was even getting emotional thinking about it is because of the dads in here that they you give me hope for the world. You give me hope that families can be what God wanted them to be. That people can look to dad and they won't have a trust. They don't have to distrust men their whole lives because of you. Because of the difference that you're making and the faith that you're able to pass on. You know, and I I see Jeff and then I see Jacob and I go, man, that's going to be a whole family that's going to be able to trust men because of their dad. And because of the dad after that and the dad after that. And so uh, I'm so inspired by all of you. And I know that in our world, this is not a huge day of celebration. Because of a lot of the dads that are out there. But in the church, it is. And I pray that we can really recognize that today. And I know for other people, it's a hard time. I called my dad today. First thing out of his mouth was, man, it's a hard day. I'm missing my two kids. And for some of you, you're thinking the same thing. I lost my dad. I lost my brother. I lost my... And, and he's like, well, I'm happy that you called, though. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I, I didn't take offense to it because I know, man, I know what it is. And that's the, 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 the victory that we can have is even when we're gone, we have a legacy that can continue ahead. And this summer, we're going to be doing Hebrews 11... Uh, For our summer series, I'm excited about this uh, series. Nobody really knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, They know that it probably was not the the Apostle Paul, who you would think it was because of the way it's so eloquently written. But uh, in in, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, the writer says that he didn't see Jesus. And, And Paul, every time he wrote, he said, I saw Jesus. He told me directly. You know, it was written in times of persecution, encouraging the readers not to go back to their old way of life. Saying you can go forward with God and you might get persecuted and your family might have hard times and you might lose everything. But it's better than going back to how you were before. That was really the theme of the book. After 30 plus years, they were tempted to go back. You know, some of us, even in here, we've been Christians almost 30 years or even beyond. And it can be easy to think and, and, and to be tempted to go back to our old way of life. And I pray that after this summer, you'll be encouraged to never go back, to always go forward. If you're here for the first time, that you'll be inspired of, to see what a life of faith looks like. Uh, this summer, uh, today we're going to be talking about Abraham, the father of faith. And as we go through this series, we're not trying to do it just as an academic exercise. This is not school. This is to try to help you and me to live a life of faith. This is meant to encourage you. This is meant to challenge you. This is meant for you to go home and think about, am I a person of faith? Do I live a life that God wants me to live? And in the areas that we are, we can be encouraged In the areas that we're not, we can change and we can live the life that God wants us to live. You know, God wants you to be more faithful at the beginning, at the end of the summer than you are at the beginning of the summer. 
If you get to the end of the summer and you're less faithful, then you just wasted three months of your life. And I pray that you'll take that seriously, that in a lot of ways, we're coming after you. God wants your heart. He wants my heart. He doesn't want us to just continue to come to church over and over. And we'll see with Abraham that he started out with faith in an amazing way. And he had some pretty big hiccups along the way. He messed up in big ways, but he finished on the mountaintop with God. You know, so many of us, I pray that you're encouraged that you've been a disciple for as long as you have. But if you don't finish with God, then you wasted everything. If you get to the end of your life and you still don't have faith, or you had faith in the beginning, but at the end you lose it, what a waste. You know, I pray that we can all pay attention to God's word. That you won't think about me or how it's said, but you really examine your hearts. And let's pray as we get started. Uh, Father, we do thank you so much for the incredible examples that you've given us. In your word of people living by faith, of, of finishing the race for you. God, I pray that you can help us to be men and women that don't just start with faith, but we finish with faith, God. If we, if we have never lived our lives trusting you fully, I pray that today can even inspire us to be able to put our trust and faith in you and your word. God, get me out of the way that for the next few minutes that you can really help us and inspire us and convict us and challenge us to live by faith like never before. God, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to read the verses that are either relating to everyone in general or specifically only to Abraham. Starting in verse 1. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man and him as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars on the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking forward to a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. 
Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He would receive the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God said it was through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. In verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And so, he's inspiring the readers of this letter to have the same kind of faith that Abraham did. To not worry about your life, to be led by God. To look forward to the promise that is ahead and not to your present circumstances. That God is in control of your life. That's the same message that he gives to us today. To live a life by faith. To be certain of what we have not seen because we're sure of the, the, the one who made the promise. Because we see God even though we can't physically see him. My point number one here is called led by faith. And I'm looking at Abraham that he was called to go to a place that he could never, that he had never seen and he didn't know where he was going. Now imagine that. God calls you to go somewhere and you don't know where it is and he just says to go. And then tomorrow you get a U-Haul and you pack up your house and you put it on a truck and you just start driving. What direction? I don't know. Where are we going to go? I have no idea. Imagine doing this as a single person. And then imagine adding a family to this. Okay, honey, we're going to move and uh, we're going to go somewhere. Just get in the U-Haul. We're going to just go somewhere. I don't know how that would go over in your house. That wouldn't go over well in my house. Right? The kid's asking, hey, where are we going? So... I don't get to see my friends again, and we're just going, like, where? Like, just somewhere out there in the world? Okay, that sounds like a great plan. Why don't we try that tomorrow? Let's, let's give that a shot. You can imagine Abraham and Sarah and the kids and the extended family and all the animals and everybody. We're going to start going, and God's going to lead us. You know, an amazing adventure that he was going to give them. Uh, I don't know if... He, how many people like moving? <laughs> One person. Wow. Okay, you can talk to me afterwards and tell me what you like about it. Um, I love this picture. This is how organized the move looks, and then this is how it ends up. I mean, it, it's chaos. I'd say probably if you could look at a graph of my spiritual moments in life, probably the lowest times are like moving day. You know, it's like... Most stressed and frustrated and out of my mind. And um, it is fun sometimes to go to new places and start new adventures, but it can be a challenge uh, as well. You know, I found this picture of moving day here. (laughs) Honey, I was excited that we were going in a Mercedes, but this wasn't what I had in mind. Um, 
you know, that God, that Abraham took everything with him and would just went off into uh, on a search for where God was going to lead him. You know, for my own family, uh, God has kind of moved us all over the place. You know, we lived 18 years in New England in three different places there. And I remember every year getting together and we would have our little retreat and we would just say a prayer and like, God, where do you want us to be for the next year? Because we had no family there. All of our, you know, our kids were there. Our grandparents were in two separate parts of the country and we're just there because God put us there. So every year it was like, okay, God, are we going to be here for another year? And for 18 years we came out and it was like, okay, so another year we're going to be here. God wants us to be here. You know, we moved over to Orange County to be closer to Danielle's family. And it's amazing what happened is we got so comfortable that after a while we stopped asking ourselves that question. We didn't ask, God, do you want us to be here? We just assumed that we're going to be here for a long time. So in a subtle way, instead of being led by God, we were kind of led by what we thought. And what was more comfortable for us, and we thought the future's here, until one, t- one year God said, no, it's over. You're not in Orange County anymore. You're coming out here to the desert. I'd like to say that that was met with open arms and lots of joy. As I've shared before, we weren't too fired up at the time. But now, four years later, I can't imagine our lives without being here. And we're so grateful to be here, and we want to be here for a long time. If God wants us to be here. No, there's no announcement coming. Don't worry. (laughs) But each of us need to be willing to ask ourselves the question, where does God want me to be? Not just where does he want me to live, but how does he want me to live? And what does he want me to do with my life? And sometimes it's easier to move than it is to stay put. And maybe you're out there going, oh man, wouldn't that be so cool? They got to move all over the country and and, uh, work for God and and just get to know all different people. You know, I called my buddy today in in, uh, Connecticut, John Mirabello. We met in our oldest child's uh, birthing class. (laughs) And he's not a disciple, but I was just thinking, man, this guy is a good friend of mine. We we talked for a while and I met... I hung up the phone and I just started thinking, wow, he's been in the same house his whole entire marriage. You know, he lives about a mile from where he grew up. You know, he's got roots that go down into all the community and everything. And I could feel it in my mind going, wow, wouldn't that be nice? You know, isn't that how Satan works? Whatever we don't have, he makes that look better. So if you didn't move, he said, well, if I only moved, my life would be so much better. And if you moved too much, they say, well, if I only stayed put, my life would be better. You know, when God puts you wherever he wants you to be, the thing that's going to make your life better is your faith. Is your trust in him. Is you living your life for God wherever you are. The grass is never greener on the other side. And we've heard that so many times. Whenever you go, wherever you go. You're there. So if you're faithless here and you move somewhere else, guess what? You're going to be somewhere else and you're not going to have faith there. 
But if you're faithful here and you go somewhere else, you have faith wherever you go, even if you stay here. Because the reality that I've learned is that my life is not about my location, but it's about my faith and it's about my God. You know, how does God lead us today? You know, I want to be led by faith, don't you? I mean, why would you even be here if you didn't want to be led by faith? All the places you could be. You know, God leads us by faith in an amazing way. Three ways that I thought of, and there's probably many more. But number one, by his word. I want to live by faith. If you want to live by faith, you got it right here. God has given us the way to live right here in his word. And he's also given us the way not to live right here in this word. His whole point is to keep us away from sin. And so if we are led by whatever and we're going into sin, then that immediately tells you that is not the way that God wants me to go. If I'm thinking about sin, then that is God saying, no, that is the wrong way. That's your own idea, not mine. Because I want to help you, I want to protect you, I want to bless you, and so if you go that way, that's not the way. This is the way that I want you to go. His word, it says, it teaches us, it corrects us, it rebukes us, and it trains us. That's a great thing. The word, God is training each one of us. But if, have you ever thought about those words? That God wants to teach you and he wants to teach me. The question isn't if God wants to teach me or not, it's do I want to be taught by God or not? He's always wanting to teach me. That's not, the, that's not the problem. Sometimes I don't want to hear it. You know, sometimes my wife tries to give me a suggestion. If she would have told me to wear that shirt that Jeff wore, <laughs> no way, I would have wore this shirt. Jeff's a good guy. He's probably going to have, you know... My wife's not here, so she can't tell me what to wear. (laughs) I'm not even going to go there. I can't even remember what I was talking about. His word. Yes, his word. There we go. He leads us by his spirit. He leads us by his spirit. He's given us a guide, a comforter, a reminder, and an encourager. You know, that his spirit, again, it's good to go back to point number one. His spirit is never going to lead you in a way that goes against the word. The spirit cannot break this book. So if, if you feel like the spirit is leading you to break this book, then that's the wrong spirit. But there is a Holy Spirit that he gives us when we're with him that leads us where God wants us to go. He's given us so much freedom within his word, but there's also specific directions that he leads each one of us. And I'm afraid sometimes we don't listen. We get that thought in our mind that God wants us to X, Y, or Z, and we blow it off. And we say, no, God doesn't want me to do that. God doesn't want me to, whatever, take out the trash. God doesn't want me to, you know, 
listen right away. God doesn't want me to get serious about my job or my future or my diet or my wife or any. God is always leading us. Just think about it for a second. If you're a dad, is there ever a day that you don't give your kid or wish your kid in a certain direction? That you don't give them some kind of, man, I wish you would do this or I wish you would do that or... And, you know, after a while, the kids get kind of smart, right? So you can't say that every day, even though you want them to do it. You can't, you have to kind of space it out, right? Because they stop listening after a while. But you still want them to do certain things. And that's how God is with us. He gives us directives. He has plans for you. And maybe he doesn't give it all the time. But he try, he's trying to direct each one of us by his spirit every day. And I pray that we'll take that seriously and be led by that, be led by that voice that's inside of us. That we'll test it with his word, but we won't discount it. That we'll appreciate the guide that he's given us. And point number three, how does God lead us? He leads us by his church. It says in Hebrews that the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Basically, that without the church, the world wouldn't know about God. They wouldn't know what the right way is. They wouldn't know the truth without his people to be able to present his word. You know, the church is nothing more than, than us. It's, it's all the people that you see around us that have united themselves with Christ. It's the family in this room. Now, he's given us leadership in the church with elders and evangelists and teachers and deacons. And he's given us friends in the church. And so, I believe God uses his church to direct us, to lead us, by his word. You know, if you're trying to help someone in here to get closer to God, I pray that you use this. If you tell me your opinion, eh, depending on who you are, I may listen more or I may listen less, if you want to be honest. But if you show me this, now you got my attention. Now you're giving me the word of life. Now you're giving me something that can really help. And so I pray that as we're helping one another to guiding each other in the church, that we don't just give them what we think and what we see and how we used to do it in the old days. That we'll give the word of God. This is going to outlast all of us. And the more we can use this, the more we're going to change and truly be led by faith. Point number two. Oh, this is a cool scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. That's how you live by faith. You take your opinions and your feelings and you throw them to the side and you hold on to God. And you hold on to his spirit and you hold on to his church. Now you see why it's hard to have faith. Because it's hard to put ourselves aside and hold on to these things. Because yeah. we want to determine our own direction. We want to be unique and individual. God's like, no, why reinvent the wheel? It's right here. This is how you be special. 
by following me, by becoming my son and my daughter. Amen? Amen. Point number two. It's going to be called Living by Faith. And this really struck me. It said that by faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. That Abraham lived by faith, that sounds like an awesome slogan, until you think about this. That's your home. Abraham lived to be 125 years, and every single one of them was right there. That's a whole different idea of living by faith. He didn't try to make a house. He didn't try to have a permanent dwelling. His whole idea of home was different than ours. It was wherever you took all the animals and wherever you went grazing, that was your home. So it'd be like the whole Coachella Valley. That's my home because we go everywhere. And then in the winter, we go up, we go up to Idlewild and there are homes up there. And living in something like this for his entire life. I don't know if you like camping or not. But if you don't, then you would have had a hard time with this plan. Right? There's no Ritz Carlton out there. You know, you can't uh, go uh, glamping. You can't glamp up here. I mean, that was, that was actually probably a nice tent. Uh, I saw this one also. That does not look very exciting. Living out in the desert with, the, with intense. Uh, Abraham lived three generations like this. Nomads wandering, uh, just cruising around. They'd have their water in bag, skin bag, bags made of skin. They'd have their lamp with their olive oil. They'd dig a hole in the ground. They, you know, because of the sand, you don't eat your food outside. So they would actually dig their pit in, inside the tent and cook right in there. Um, you know, some people that have lived their lives this way their whole lives, if you ask them that even today to want to live a different way, they won't do it. Because they've enjoyed this way of trusting God, of living out in the, in the wilderness and just wandering around. You know, amazing way to live by faith. Imagine your family living in a tent for that long. And it wasn't just your family, but it was all of his extended family. So everybody all together, all the time. I don't know how that sounds to you. That sounds kind of challenging. <laughs> right? So they learned how to get along. They had to be a team. They learned how to work out problems. They learned all kinds of stuff uh, as they wandered around. But you can see how heaven would be a real thing for him. And I pray that heaven is the same real thing for us. This is probably the point that really challenged me the most. Is thinking about, um, I'm preparing this and I'm in my house and I'm walking around. I'm like, wow. I'm pretty comfortable. Feeling pretty good here. Happy. Got my coffee pot, <laughs> sitting outside, nice breeze, got my little dogs running around. I don't have like a thousand sheep. I got two dogs. <laughs> Pretty comfortable life. 
You wonder why we don't think about heaven that much. I pray that you can live by faith and think about the next life more than you think about this life. That's the one that counts. I'm going to have Ronnie come up here, and uh, we're excited to have Ronnie. He's going to share a little bit about living by faith. Uh, Please welcome him as he comes up. Church, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. My name is Ronnie Mendiola, and I am the newest disciple of the Desert City Church of Christ as of May 27. I want to thank you for your continued prayers and reaching out to me as a new child of Christ. I'm going to touch a little bit about what live in faith means to me and how I got to this point in my life. I am a child of six siblings. At the age of seven, my father passed away, leaving my mother to raise six children, ages two to twelve alone. This tragedy started a tailspin, not just for me, but my other siblings as well. Foster care, youth correction. For me, it was the beginning of the love deficit that plagued my life, my entire life. Feelings of abandonment, rejection, insecurity, isolation, I never had a father or benefits of someone who cared enough to set standards and guidelines. I managed to fill this dull void with unhappy relationships and addictive behaviors, only making that hole of emptiness larger. I was unable to figure out what that emptiness was that consumed most of my heart. Around age 13, I was briefly introduced to church by my aunt, but always felt forced not of my will. My, my choice was to disobey. In 1987, I moved to, the, to Cathedral City, married my wife of 26 years, had three children, and tried to live life, but still felt that void. No meaning or purpose for my being. My wife became a disciple 21 years ago, and for a long time I struggled with her spending much of that time away from me but eventually felt secure with her decision. Throughout those 21 years, I attended many church services and functions. As I have witnessed the changes of good for others in the kingdom, I also imagine a relationship with God. For years, New Year's Eve was always depressing for me as I looked back on my lack of growth and accomplishments. I recall always thinking of a New Year's resolution or goal. On that list, a relationship with God. That excitement was always short-lived. In 2018, as I attended church more often, the spiritual breadcrumbs were laid out for me to consume. I felt more and more sermons were directed to me. Some of them that come to mind, the demon of doubt, the serpent of shame, suffering in silence and darkness. Many times I felt God reach out his hand to me, but no reply on my part. God had his plan. He put people strategically at the right time in my life for this to happen. The Sweeney's. In preparation for our 25th wedding anniversary, Scott and Danielle spent time with Darcy and myself in marriage devotion classes. 
the Moyos also opened up to their home to fellowship and friendship. I didn't know what to expect, but I quickly found out how relatable both couples were and how much we had in common. Family, marriage. But the one thing that one thing missing in my life was faith in God. I saw how the relationship evolved around God as their central core. Ultimately, it was that time shared with shared together that gave me the trust and comfort to proceed with future studies. As I studied the Bible and, began, and the teachings, I believe this is what I was looking for. A relationship with Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. The bond of trust from Scott and Lewis would play a pivotal role as part of the, as part of the studies grew more challenging for me. Gradually, the invisible barriers built by years of emptiness, suffering, guilt, shame, and doubt began melting away. God's offering, true love, peace, acceptance, forgiveness, new heart, new start, salvation, and becoming his son through a new spiritual rebirth. I was able to accept, I was able to appreciate God's offering that only deepened my eagerness to establish a life-changing relationship with Jesus. My response to his calling, baptism. This began my new journey by faith. Thank you for letting me share. Amen. Thank you, Ronnie. That was awesome. I know he was nervous to get up here, but you wouldn't, wouldn't know it, man. And It's been inspiring to see your life change, and it's been inspiring to see all of your lives change. And I pray that if you're here, that you can think about your own life. What would it be like for you to live by faith? How would your life be different if you decided to try this out? If you decided to trade in your way for God's way? in every area of your life. You know, Abraham's life radically changed once he started on his journey. You know, a few of the highlights here are times when he would make altars to God and just thank him for the amazing things that he was doing in his life. I don't know what gave him that idea, but he just said, man, I want to just do something for God. I want to just sacrifice this lamb for God. You know, give up something for him to show him my gratitude. You know, and another point in life uh, that showed his faith is when him and his nephew Lot got in an argument over their land that they had become so wealthy that they started arguing amongst each other. And him, as the uncle, submitted himself to the nephew and let the nephew choose to go wherever he wanted to go. Think about, wow, that is a lot of humility. I don't think I would do that. But that was his faith. Wherever I go, God is with me. It doesn't matter if I go over here or if I go over here. So you pick. He didn't have to fight for it himself. He could allow God to choose. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. It doesn't matter. You know, and that, 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 that challenges me to think about we don't have to be so controlling over our own lives. That God's going to lead us and it doesn't matter where we go. He's going to be with us. And we don't have to hold on so tight to what we want, but trust God. Later on, this same nephew got 
overtaken in war and got captured. And he didn't say, well, you shouldn't have took the good land. That's your problem. That's probably what I would have thought. But he went and he saved, he saved him because God was with him. He fought for his family. He didn't give up. But he took a stand for his family. You know, that, that shows your faith. When you take a stand for your family, that shows your faith. Yeah. You know, it, it struck me even what Ronnie said as without a spiritual man in his life, he didn't have boundaries that were set up. He didn't have standards that were there. And so he went wherever because there wasn't somebody holding up a, a, a sign of faith to show him where to go. You know, he gave to Melchizedek. After his big victory, he, he, he gave a tenth of everything he had to him. And Melchizedek, of course, symbolizes Jesus as he had bread and wine. He wrestled with God. You can go back and read in Genesis 12 through 25 this whole story, but when they were going to destroy Sodom, he didn't feel good about it. He said, God, will you destroy the city for 50 people, for 45, for 40, for 30, for 20, for 10? Because he, he felt close enough to God that by faith he was willing to put himself out there. That trusting God doesn't just mean you... Never have a problem with what God does. But that you're honest about it enough to bring it to him. That you're willing to say, God, I didn't like that. And for some of us, that may be the turning point in your faith is to say, hey, I don't like this. And that might be the beginning of God deepening your faith. I know it helped me. Because I grew up thinking, you know, you have to always agree and never have any problems with whatever God does. And I looked at heroes in the Bible, and they weren't like that. They were real. You know, just like we disagree with our parents at times, we're going to disagree with God at times. And it doesn't bother him when we bring him to him. He knows that we don't like it, whether we say it or whether we don't. But he wants to help us to understand. You know, and of course, he was given this promise That he would have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. I love this picture. He laughed. He was like 100 years old. I don't know what I'm going to look like at 100 if I make it that long. But he made him the father of many nations. And he even gave him his son the name Isaac, which means he laughs. So kind of that meaning that every time he could look at his son, he said, you know what? I laughed. But also the double meaning that there's joy, that God has given me joy. You know, and before his life was over, he had one final task, was to get a a spiritual wife for his daughter. This was from a little cartoon movie. But he was fighting for his kids till the very end of his life. That sounds like fatherhood, right? Whether we're there or not, we're praying, we're fighting, we're wrestling. And he wrestled with his kid to help him find Rebecca. And it was an amazing story, an incredible love story when you read that. But as we get closer, we're going to take communion together and talk about the the legacy of faith that Abraham started that led to the nation of Israel, that ultimately led to Jesus. But five times in his life, God reiterated this promise. And he did 
receive his son back from the dead, as it says here in, in Hebrews 11. But I want to fast forward to this time on the mountaintop. As we think about communion, this was the only time in the Bible that this was ever asked. Just once. Okay, uh, Abraham, I'm going to bless you through Isaac, but this one thing I need you to do. I need you to sacrifice him first. And so Abraham leads him up the mountain. Some of you are familiar with the story. And, and God says in Genesis 22, don't lay a hand on the boy. Now I know that you honor God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son, whom you love. And he looked up and there was a ram caught in a thicket. And he sacrificed the ram instead of his son. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And I was even in tears thinking about this story and just reading all of that through. And imagining the faith that he had that God was going to somehow raise up his son from the dead after he did this. And it was a burnt offering too. And just that kind of faith and imagining he's the only one in history that truly understands what God went through. Putting his son on the cross. Having him be bound, having him be led where he didn't want to go. Because of his faith. And I'm reminded of this scripture in 2 Corinthians 2. Where it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus died in your place and in my place in the same manner that Abraham was called to sacrifice his son. God, however, did not hold back. He went through with it because the price had to be paid. Some have called it the great exchange where he's taken our sin away and given us his righteousness instead. Taking away our penalty of death in Jesus and giving us the gift of life that's in Christ. I pray that today that as we take communion that we can appreciate in a small way the kind of father that we have in heaven who'd be willing to give us his amazing and perfect son. As we're all moved to tears, as we see the video and even fathers thinking about our own kids, it gives us a new understanding of how much God loves you and how much he's willing to do for you and for me. Let's pray as we take our communion together. Father, we thank you so much for the way that you live for us and the way that you sent your son to die for us. Thank you then in so many ways that you are the perfect father that None of us had a perfect father. And I pray that today that we can see your love through your son. And we can know that you, you want to lead us in our lives through your word and your spirit and your people. God, that you want us to trust you and live a life of faith. And you're going to bless us so much as a result. God, we thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your son laying down his life and shedding his blood for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.